Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And folks, on today's show, we are pleased to have our interview with David Leary. David, welcome. Welcome. Uh, Ron and Ed, thanks for having me. I've listened to the show a lot. I, oh, I, <laughs> for years, right? Huge fan, listen to all the episodes. But I listen to my podcast at 2x speed. So it's very strange talking to you in person or listening to it this way. Like the intro, I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> it kind of, kind of drags on. So. Usually usually half that speed. Well, Ron, how are you doing this week too? Uh, I'm good, Ed. I'm looking forward to this. All right. Well, let me read the bio so we get that out of the way, and then we'll, we'll get right to the, to the content. David Leary is an innovative and influential force in the small business accounting world. With over 22 years of book experience, David has provided small business and accountants and developers with technical tools, deep industry knowledge, strategy, and solutions. His business sense, vast technical knowledge, and domain expertise have helped bridge the gap between developers, small businesses, and accountants. He is the co-host with Blake Oliver of the Cloud Accounting Podcast and the co-founder of Earmark Media. Welcome, officially now, to the soul of enterprise, David Leary. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's funny that you read the, uh, the the book bio, right? It's all perfectly the, the, worded out. Like, you don't have yes. to read that. <laughs> it also kind of means I'm just starting to get old and I've done a lot of stuff now. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. As I find that as as I get older and do more stuff, my bio gets shorter. Actually, I'm just because <laughs> I don't I don't feel the need to overcompensate. To yeah, I, I don't even bother updating the LinkedIn page. It's too much work. Right? Yeah, just, exactly. Too much work to exactly. Well, David, re- really appreciate having you today, and I want to thank you for something um, which is interesting. Is you are I think the um, the the Godfather, maybe I don't know how I would put this, but the, or the impetus behind us creating our Patreon page, because you were the one who sent me an email about five years ago and said, "I can't stand the commercials anymore. You guys have got to like stop with the commercials," and we we're like, "Okay, so here's what we did. So we created the Patreon channel, and might I just mention that you have not joined the Patreon? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but we do appreciate the fact that you gave us the the, the kick in the pants to say, "Hey, let." Listen, let's do something different about that. Well, it wasn't so much that I hate the commercials. It's just the beauty of podcasting for me is you don't have to follow that old school model, like the A slot, the B slot, the C slot, the D slot, fit time in for commercials. I know we're going to do this today. Like we're still on that. You're still on that model, but, and and you guys have these amazing guests, way more amazing people than me. And you have to interrupt them to (laughs) to run a commercial. And I'm like, you don't have to do that with podcasts. And it makes me want to scream. And you're right. Like, that's why I sent the email. I'm like, you have to stop doing that. You know? But, but you know what? You got to pay the bills. You've gotta no, we got to pay the bills. Right? No, that's exactly right. And we and we were talking about this before we went live. One of the things that we think the segmentation does is it does, is I think, give us a chance to reset a little bit and perhaps shift topics to something else that if we had just go- gone on stream of consciousness, maybe we wouldn't have gotten into. So I think there's a there's clearly an advantage, disadvantage. At least that's what I found from a and host And you get your tag team. You get to tag, tag team. Yes. 
Yes, it's yeah, really, really good. So, but let's talk about about some of the stuff from your podcast perspective. You, as I mentioned, you're the the co-host with Blake Oliver, who is a Patreon member. We gets a shout out every week, uh, well, not every week, uh, once a month, um, of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. So, talk a little bit about just for the those audience members that may not have, be familiar with your work with uh, with Blake. Yeah, so the Cloud Accounting Podcast is essentially. Well, actually, I'll just put our, our pitch line now. It is the number one accounting, bookkeeping, and now tax podcast in the world. We we caught up to Bloomberg's tax podcast on the Apple uh, Business News top top 100, or whatever they call the their top list, right? So mm-hmm. we finally caught them. So I put the stake in the ground. We are number one accounting, bookkeeping, and tax. But what we do, the value in us, right, is we summarize, we curate the news. So we're summarizing the week's news in this industry every week. A um, little bit of a tech slant, right, as well. And that's the service we provide. We're curating and plowing through. Between the two of us, we're easily going through 1,500 articles a week. The most things are horrible. So Blake, my co-host, Blake Oliver, is a CPA. So he came up through the zero world, and he was a CPA. I came up through the QuickBooks world, and I'm not a CPA, but all technology. So it's a good intersection of the two of us. And then um, we just plow through the articles. And the way it works, you know, we show up to the show on Friday mornings when we record. I have 20 or so articles I think I want to bring to the show. He has 20 or so that he thinks he's going to bring to the show. And we just hit record. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've gotten to the point where, like, he'll talk about an article. I'm like, I have an article that kind of tangentially relates to that. And we'll go back and forth. But you as an accountant or bookkeeper or a listener, you can unsubscribe from all those emails you get. You can stop trying to go to all the different media sites. Trying, and a lot of the articles, too, are, like, paid to play right in our space and so we're plowing through a lot of that and just like here's the real news that's happening that could impact you and then we bring a lot of outside news in a lot of remote work stuff what we see in other industries with automation and robotics and anything that we think ties back to what's going on in the heads of accountants and bookkeepers and firm owners and that type of service and recently you guys have expanded out with uh, earmarks so talk a little bit about that now too so we've been doing the podcast now for four years and early on, maybe in the first year, people, listeners started asking, hey, this is so valuable. Can I get CPE credit for listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast? And at the time, you couldn't do it. So Blake went on this journey. He's like, we're going to figure out how to do this. So he, went, he didn't even put a stake in the ground on the show. He said, this is our goal for this year. So Blake went on this 18, 24-month journey. I think COVID helped uh, NASBA being a little bit more open to different forms of education. So Blake went on this journey built an app. So there's an app called Earmark CPE. And essentially it's a quiz to get, so now you can listen to a podcast. I think there's a TSOE podcast that are available on there as well. So you can listen to a podcast, take a quiz at the end and get credit for listening to podcasts. Now, the funny thing about this that has hit me over the last four to six weeks is I'm starting to believe that our format is actually the best proof of knowledge. If you think about a conference, right? You've been to, you speak at conferences, so you can Mm -hmm. testify this. People go to the door, they get their badge scanned, and they can fall asleep if they want. They don't have to learn a thing from you, and they get CPE credit. And then if you think about online webinars, somebody just has to keep saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, three times, and they get CPE credit. They don't have to digest the content. They don't have to pay attention. They can be doing their emails, whatever. Podcasting is really interesting because, A, they have to prove knowledge, so they have to answer four or five questions correctly. But the interesting thing is they actually are learning it because they're walking their dog, they're doing their laundry. People are 100% focused on basically the podcast that they're listening to, so they actually learn something. It, it, so you would think it would be the other way around, like in-person would be the best way to learn. And it's turning out that maybe podcasts are the best way or on-demand media. We can actually take on-demand video and make that a course too. But that's it's it's a paradigm. I mean, you guys have seen people sleeping in the front row at your talks, I'm sure. 
Not really the front row. Usually the back row. They uh-huh. usually just like put in the back. Which is why I've made this suggestion to the the, the some of these conference owners that they have a, a price in there, a special price for uh, a higher price. Just if you pay it like a hundred dollars more, you get to sit in the back row in comfortable chairs, and you know then you can just go to sleep in the back in the comfortable chairs, and then leave us out of it. And then the people who actually want to participate will be up front. So so you know. I think I was at. Uh... <laughs> years ago somehow i wound up at a uh, some continuing education thing for prosecuting attorneys and they all just signed the paper it was like a legal pad they signed it what yellow legal pad literally and then went out to the pool and had margaritas they didn't even go in the session <laughs> got to see their continuing education so that was the that was the ethics class was that the ethics I don't know class which, it was, which one it was for but possibly <laughs> Well, uh, we've seen a lot of crazy things. In fact, um, Blake has been on with Michael uh, Kravshak, uh, w- yes. where we, where they, they talked about your platform there and what you guys are doing. And of course, they're coming at it um, from a slightly different uh, uh, model. This is a uh, LumaQ, you know. Yes, and, but, LumaQ from but, LumaQ. But I but I do think that that you guys are onto something. I think it is a it's it's a better form of learning at least right now. I think there's pluses and minuses to both. But um, I, you're absolutely right in the fact that at least with this one, there's a check to make sure that you've learned something. <laughs> And, and then with podcasting 2.0, which there's new standards come out for podcast. And you know what I love about podcasting? It's an, it's a standard. Mm-hmm. Like email is a standard. You can't cancel podcasts. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, once somebody has an RSS feed, you can spin it up on any server and they can still get the media, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's not cancelable. But what's happening in the new, uh, think about it, it's calling podcasting 2.0. They're adding new things to the feed. So the new podcasting 2.0 players, for example, uh, chapter art. So you could have slide, your slides show up automatically in the podcast player while somebody's listening. They can look down, here's the next slide, they can scroll to the next one, they can have a next slide. And then they also get into like ways to, like you have your Patreon, ways to have a value block to where people can, if you say something that's really genius Ed, somebody could just boost you and send you micropayments to the Bitcoin and Lightning Network, right? So there's a lot of new exciting things happening with podcasting that's going to actually make education even better, I think, Hmm. in the future. Talk a little bit about more of that. What are, what are some of those other tools that you're seeing with podcasting 2.0? Well, so a lot of it's players. Mm. And what they're doing is they're, so a lot of people are implementing these into the players. So you're not seeing these things yet in Apple, Spotify. Arguably, Apple and Spotify are trying to ruin podcasting, right? They, they, they want people on their platform only, exclusive. Like they don't, they don't like it when you're listening to podcasts and other podcast players, right? And having that freedom of choice in the market. It's kind of essentially... Facebook, right, is just an RSS feed. They've just gotten everybody to do it only inside of Facebook, right? It's just a feed. And that's what a podcast is. It's a feed of shows that are coming through and you subscribe to the ones you want to and they'll show up in any player. So payments, uh, custom artwork, they're getting to the point where even your listeners could uh, chat, cross app, chat about your episodes. Um, Listeners could do after the fact editing to your episodes. And what I mean by that, they could actually create the chapters for you. So you release the podcast, instead of having your editor create all these chapters, listeners can create the chapters on their own. Like, hey, here's a chapter. This makes sense. Here's an insert. And so it's a little bit more collaborative to some extent and really taking out, you know, that value to value model where, you know, in theory, smaller independent podcasts don't need a bunch of advertisers. You don't have to have your five commercials. I know here you are. You can on Voice America, right? But it's kind of this, that's the march things seem to be on. Yeah, well, it, uh, diff- different models will, will will work. And curiously, we, we've got about two minutes left in this segment or so. Uh, I know based on your email, and, and we had uh, previously been uh, exposed to this guy through another channel, but the one of the fathers of, of podcasting and even podcasting 2.0 is the, the, the ex-music uh, television DJ, Adam Curry. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Adam Curry, he uh, invented 
podcasting, him and I always forget the other guy's name, but basically created a way to do an audio enclosure in an RSS feed which is essentially what podcasting is. So he, he really created podcasting, but then he has his own, he came up through media mm-hmm. and then he has a show called No Agenda, which is co-host John C. Dvorak. So if you remember the old PC magazine days for us, so they're old enough, that back column was always John C. Dvorak in that magazine. And that's how like, there was no Amazon. Like if you wanted to buy PC parts, there was 500 ads in there. You could order stuff from all over the world. It was great, right? Um, and he wrote the column in there. And so they both came up through like media. And they have their own show called No Agenda. And what they do is they, they deconstruct media to some extent. And because a lot of the media, if you think about it, if you see a show, if you're a dentist and you see a news, ar- news article, it's usually wrong. And you're like, they didn't get that right. Well, then every ep- somebody in the construction article news comes on and like, that's not right. And everything is not really correct. And it's kind of based off of that, right? Oh, the, Dave Weiner is the other name. It just came to me okay. as well. And so, they, they, <laughs> well. so they created that. And the, but they built, they have a podcast they've been running for 15 years, no advertising, and they put kids through college on it. And it's all value for value where people are sending them money based on the value they get out of the podcast. All right. Well, David, this has been great, but we do have to pay the bills at 15, okay. 30, and 45. So we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. This segment is sponsored by Melio, an accounts payable solution that both you and your clients will love. Go to go.melio.com slash TSOE to get started for free. And now a word from those sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Accountants and bookkeepers, listen up. Save time by streamlining your customers' payables with Melio. Melio lets you make all your customers' business payments on one simple dashboard. There's no monthly fees, and you can send ACH transfers for free. Best of all, Melio syncs with your accounting software, so everything is organized. Do yourself and your customers a favor. Join Melio so you can spend less time on payments and more time growing your firm. Visit melio.com accountants for more information. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. 
While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash time's up. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. Warning, Lean Six Sigma can be dangerous to your health. That's all I have to say. Uh, David, you know, Lean Six Sigma, or six I should just say Six Sigma, goes back to the agricultural revolution of the late 1800s. I learned this from my mentor, late mentor, Dr. Sheila Kessler, who was a Baldridge Award examiner. So she knew where she was speaking of. And when we were at Scaling New Heights, you were telling me a story about how your previous, one of your previous employees or employers was almost killed by a CEO who was a former GE executive, came into the company where you were working and was fanatical about implementing Six Sigma. What happened? Yeah, so uh, Steve Bennett, this is um, circa, when was this? This is probably uh, 2000, just about right after Y2K or right before Y2K, right, right around in there. And Intuit hired a new CEO, Steve Bennett, to take us to the next level. And he came in from GE. He was a 23 veteran of GE. And at that time, everybody was rating GE for their CEOs. And he comes in, you know, the GE way, he comes in, he hires all, all these VPs and managers. And they, the first thing is you notice they all dress the same. They all have like the tan dockers and then really it's a similar, similar color shirt to what you have on here, Ron, that, that blue, but it's that, the, the cotton, that stiff kind of cotton look. It's very, that, that typical dockers look. And then they all start, and that, around that time, that book, the GE way came out. So then you start noticing Intuit employees start dressing this way. And they start carrying around the GE Way book, and everybody wants to be a green belt and a black belt. And the culture was rolled into into it, right across the board, up, down, left, right, and it, it was it was a little bit of a it was a cult, right? A little bit. Um, and then it just really started to impact the decisions, right? And in the examples of this for uh, immediately TurboTax, we go back to like TurboTax. A lot of people would pirate TurboTax. Hmm. Right? But if you think about it, they're pirating it because they loved it. And so maybe we didn't get, maybe Intuit didn't get the $40 out of you for buying TurboTax, but when you use it and you e-file, maybe Intuit got $15 out of you on that end of the equation, right? And so they put this copy protection on because, you know, everybody does the math, Six Sigma does the math. Oh, we're losing this much money. But they put copy protection on that made it so, you know, people would buy TurboTax in October to repair for the tax season in the spring. Right. And maybe for Christmas, you get a new computer. Well, guess what? You can't install it to the new computer because it wrote things to the root hard drive of the original computer. It's just, that's the kind of stuff that just was horrible customer experience. Um, and it's always that cheapest dollar with Six Sigma, right? They, they, they started outsourcing the shipping of things. People literally got mufflers delivered to them instead of TurboTax. Because they just, wow. whoever the cheapest shipper was or somebody, they you know, outsourced into a warehouse somewhere and people literally got mufflers delivered. It's that kind of stuff. Call center employees, right? Um, get off the phone as fast as possible. Oh, we can save a minute. If you don't type what you talk to the customer about, it saves a minute. 
but it really doesn't because on the other end, if the customer ever calls back, it takes 10 minutes to figure out what the hell they were talking about before. So it's just that those cuts, and in my opinion, the way I look at it, Six Sigma is all about like, you have a thousand employees all trying to save a million dollars, but that doesn't create a billion dollars of value. It just doesn't, they, the, and paper, the math is there, but it really, it's impossible. It doesn't create a billion dollars of anything. It just makes everybody mad. Right. I, I, I read a book and did a review on this book called Lean Six Sigma. And this guy made a distinction. He said, lean is about speed and Six Sigma is about quality. And when you dive into Six Sigma, it's all about eliminating waste and all of this. And yes, I can see some of it's useful for a manufacturer, but Tell me the impact on, because you were a software engineer, right? Or developer. Kind of got into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were, you're a knowledge worker and, you know, I mean, this kind of stuff goes back to Frederick Taylor, the, you know, the guy that we did our very first show on where he said in the past, man has been first, but in the future, the system must be first. But in a knowledge environment, the system is there to serve the worker, not the other way around. We're not working in an assembly line to the rhythm and cadence of an assembly line. The system's there to serve us. So how did, how did he re-engineer or what was done to the, your work processes and things as a knowledge worker? Well, I think it's just like everybody gets very specialized and then people make decisions for themselves, right? And, and a good example is this, like back in the day, you had to mail people floppy diskettes so they could get their updates for payroll and tax tables and things like that. And those floppy diskettes would go through the mail and the, the metal doors would break off. So for all, for all you younger listeners, this would be the equivalent before the internet, right? Like you had to mail data through the physical mail. And you know every department would like use Six Sigma inside their own department. So the shipping department used to like, hey, you have a customer, they got a bad disk, you put a post-it note with their address, take it to a counter, hey, mail this to this customer, right? Well, what happens is departments start solving for themselves. Well, that's not efficient because my employees got to like fill out address labels and mail disk. It's too much. So like a whole system and process is set up from you from, you know, at the time I was in tech support, instead of servicing the customer, I got to somehow become like a shipping expert, know what choices to pick to mail something out the door, print a label, package it correctly. It, it, that's what, you know, so those are the kind of things where everybody's trying to solve for themselves with Six Sigma, right? And how to pull their own levers because look, my department is so efficient now that they really, the customer suffers in the end, always the customer that suffers. It's the employees suffer, but really that forces the customers to suffer. It, 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 that's the n another thing that just doesn't seem to take into account that any business is an interdependent system and any system has to have inefficient parts to it. I mean, the human body is inefficient in some places. Sometimes a surgeon has to cut off a a limb to save your life. I mean, you can't just uh, you can't just make every part of a system efficient and get a more optimal whole. It doesn't work that way. Some parts of that system have to be inefficient. And I swear, Lean Six Sigma people don't understand this concept. Well, it's, it's funny you keep saying Lean Six Sigma. It drives me a little crazy because <laughs> at, at the time it was always called Six Sigma. There was no such thing as Lean Six Sigma. Well, it's during been co-opted. I'm it, telling you, it's been it's been co-opted, and what co-opted it? Because co it, 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 Intuit eventually tipped and headed the other direction, and we can get into that in a slightly different right, segment. Right. But um, there's a book called Lean Startup, right. and we can I can talk to you about how I got involved in that, how Intuit got involved in that, like in a different segment. But essentially, I think the Six Sigma people, because Lean Startup's the opposite of Six Sigma, and right. I think they stole the word Lean to create market confusion. It's it's 
it's kind of crazy, actually. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And and then when you look at companies like, I mean, I, I remember Starbucks brought in a bunch of Six Sigma, you know, braided belts and, uh, you know, they, they moved yeah, <laughs> they, they the baristas around and, and changed the heights of the machine. So they now they couldn't see the customer and they had to bring Howard Schultz back and he got rid of, he blew it all up. He said, this sucks. We've ruined the experience. And the thing that kills me about Six Sigma, especially Lean Six Sigma, is they pay lip service to customer value. They say, oh, no, it's all it's all voice of the customer. And then you start digging into the details and it's all internal process improvement and waste elimination. That's not the voice of the customer. The, the customer isn't paying for your processes. Yeah. We, we, an outcome. The, the barista can take two less steps per coffee cup. Yeah. Like that's what they're measuring. Yeah. Yep. It, it's yeah. like I remembered, I think it was a Accenture who developed this uh, grocery store, you know, the checkout scanner. And it was it was really fast. And the some guy goes up with his basket of goods and the the, uh, the checkout person is scanning the goods and he's trying to ask her a question it's like miss can can I ask you a question and she she's like holding up her hand she's scanning and finally she gets done and she says now yes ask please what's your question he goes well why did you make me wait she goes i'm sorry we're timed on how long it takes us to scan your your you know your cart of goods and I wanted to make sure I beat that time. Just it, it demolishes customer service. Yeah, I think it's, it's, they just try to keep squeezing the diamond till, it, till there's nothing left in it, which is, you know, you, you can have a diamond and it's illogical, right? I think they keep like, well, we'll slice a little bit more off of here and a little here and there's no diamond left if you just keep slicing at it. And, but that's their, the model. It's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't have a real explanation. I mean, I kind of see how, where it got to it into it. I mean, stock was low, morale was low, right? Employees hated it. They they kind of nicknamed him. Remember in wrestling, there was that wrestler that was popping around there called Stone Cold Steve uh, Austin. <laughs> we were calling him Stone Cold Stevie Bennett, like because he was laying people off. He moved a lot of jobs over. I think at GE, he, he was kind of uh, GE was like kind of built all the infrastructure for call centers in India. Mm-hmm. And so then jobs started rolling over to India, customer support, because it's cheaper, right? Just, and then people got, didn't get as good customer experience, right? And especially accountants, accountants don't like that. Like they, they want support that's knowledgeable, that's in the same time zone, they can speak to right away. And it's just, again, it's just squeezing that diamond, shaving away the customer experience. It's similar to what you said about the Starbucks. And that company had customer experience and TQ, you know, total quality service that was in the DNA of that company yeah. through the founder, right? And boy, when you lose us, what happened to Starbucks? So it happened to Motorola, I think. And you could even make an argument in General Motors, to some extent, implemented some of this stuff. And um, so what happened? He was there for about seven years. What finally got rid of it? Well, um, I think the there's a there's kind of two things. One thing for me personally, and I'm not saying I changed everything there, and but Scott Cook, the founder. So Scott Cook, at the time, he started into it. And he was at Procter & Gamble, very customer-focused, solution, product-driven company. And he was letting other people run the company. And he was off doing his pet projects. And he started his own project that was a very tops-down, wrong way to launch a product. And because of that, after that product failed, it was a product called Zipingo. It was kind of like a Yelpy thing. Because that product failed, he went on this, he got back to his roots. And he started getting involved with 
um, Eric Reese of Lean Startup, the Stanford design community. And he started to slowly trickle that back into the DNA of Intuit. It's really, so Lean Startup kind of saved Intuit. Right. That's awesome. And that is a good book. Well, David, this has been outstanding. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can subscribe, get our bonus content. And you can find that at uh, patreon.com slash TSOE. And of course, that channel is now sponsored by 90 Minds. More Minds Meld at 90 Minds. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back with the co-host of the Cloud Accounting Podcast and co-founder of Earmark Media. Bleh, uh, bleh, bleh, bleh. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> David Leary. Um, David, so good to have you on today. I want we, Tell us a transition story that you have because, and by the way, I just want to let you know, you have forever uh, in, cemented in me that I will separate out Lean and Six Sigma. I will not call it that anymore, despite the branding. So Lean is one thing and Six Sigma is another. So talk to me about what, what was your George Costanza moment. <laughs> My George Costanza moment. So around the same time, Scott Kirk did that Zipingo project we just talked about before the break. Mm-hmm. I, and this is like sometime in late 2006, early 2007, I went back. So, so at the, I started in tech support. I talked to 5,000 customers, took tech support calls for five years. Then I got into quality assurance and I got into the payroll team. So this is a decade after I started into it. I went back and, took, and listened to phone calls, just jumped on the phones and listened to the phone calls the reps were currently taking. Decade after I took phone calls, 10 of the 11 calls were the same call I took a decade ago. And I went to my manager and I said, are we allowed to cuss on this show? Yeah, okay, I, sure. I just said the holy, I did holy S, right? Everything we're doing is wrong. Shame on 
uh, me for being QA and not preventing this. Shame on managers. Shame on everybody. We're not doing anything right. We're not getting any better at anything. And I said, the next project I have, I'm doing it differently. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I was not going to do anything the Intuit way, which was kind of the GE way at the time. And so we started a project called View My Paycheck. Intuit started doing these hackathons, right? So around the time Lean Startup started coming to market, the concept of these hackathons started coming to market. This is early days when Twitter was just starting, Web 2.0 was just starting. People were starting to do things differently. I mean, we did these hackathons. And my dad at the time was in, in construction. He worked for a company that got paid from QuickBooks. And he couldn't get his pay stuff from QuickBooks. Now, every other person I knew that got paid by ADP and all the big players all got their pay stub, emailed to them, PDF, they could get their pay stub. So I set out to build a product called View My Paycheck. And we built it at a hackathon. I bought the domain, built it, you know, and this is when it started to do, quote unquote, white space time when Google moved in next door, right? So this is that same time, like everybody was thinking about things differently. It's kind of an exciting time. And we bought the domain, we built a prototype and we're like, hey, we're just going to build this. We're not going to ask permission. We're just going to build it. And I remember, and we used to call them innovation antibodies, would try to kill things. Right? And the, well, <laughs> first it was, well, we don't check our pay stubs. Yeah, it's because you make $150,000 a year and you don't care about your pay stub every single week, every week, right? Or they wanted, well, we have to do a big survey and get perfect data before we build this product, right? Which is, that's the Six Sigma way. Lean startup is, let's just build the cheapest, simplest thing as lean as possible and get customer feedback. So we found a customer who at the time mailed us this QuickBooks CD data. We made a fake website with hard-coded data and said, invite your employees to this. He's like, they loved it. So then we built one that actually worked and then another one that worked and another iteration, another iteration. And we just slow, you know, and, but we, when I say we built it differently, I built everything differently. For example, I made engineers take phone calls and talk to customers. And when you do that, an engineer will take a phone call three times. The first time, they're like, this can't exist. Then they verify it exists. Well, oh, that's a, maybe a bug. Then the second time, they're like, oh, it happened again. Then the third time, they're like, I'm never taking this call again. You know what they do? They get off the phone and fix the problem. They fix the bug. And, but the old way is, well, you have to have the support team does the support. And uh, the marketing team does the marketing. And like, we just rolled it out without that. And so what happened was, one, because the product was really tight, and the barrier to entry, we were still beta testing it. We had to like have people drop DLL files into their QuickBooks directory to, to give them the product to work. And that, but it proved the barrier to entry. People would jump all the, through these hoops because the value was there at the end. And then one day it went out in a marketing email that was supposed to be dropped to 1,000 customers and it went out to the whole entire base. And overnight, we went from like 100 people on it to over 1,000 in 24 hours. And then it just took off from there. But we never had, because engineers did the support, we never, as it grew, we never had to actually grew the team as much, like exponentially, because the product reliability was there and it was fixed. We weren't taking the same issues from a decade ago. And so that's, that's the really definition of Lean Startup is you iterate, you listen, you fix, you iterate, you listen, you fix, but you're really doing it based on the, what the customer is important. A good example of this, in the product itself, we had two graphs. And at the time, I'm talking about the technology stack, but I implemented two graphs. And like one kind of a 3D effect and the other one didn't. And I never fixed it because not one customer ever mentioned it, right? And like they don't care. I'm fixing the stuff they care about. But, and it's just so, so forever, it had these two graphs that never actually matched. Style-wise, they never matched. It just wasn't important enough to fix because customers don't, didn't care, 
right? And that just led into other customer innovation from that, you know, where, well, I want to view my W2 in there, you know, so we started adding that other type of functionality. So I kind of, in a weird way, I was doing lean startup before the book existed. So, and during that time, Scott Cook, he's working with Stanford Design School, Eric Reese, and he's starting to roll out Six, oh, six, I almost said Six Sigma, shame on me. Uh, he started kind of rolling out portions of design for Delight, Six Sigma. He really back, got into it back to its customer roots of listening to customers. And then eventually Eric Reese writes the book, Lean Startup. And then in that book, you know, Intuit's really a major part of that book. Now, my little project, Do My Paycheck, is in some appendix PDF you can download. Like, I didn't, I didn't get to be in the book. But it was, we were running it because it was the opposite of Six Sigma, ultimately. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. I, I assume that you've you've uh, read the book Lean Startup afterwards. What what are just some of the principles that you've taken from that that you still use in your in your work today? I think the number most the number one most important thing, and I still for my career was taking phone calls, talking to customers. I am not afraid to talk to customers. I'm amazed at how many managers, product managers, engineers they don't like to, they don't want to talk to customers. They're afraid. Right? They're, they're really afraid of doing that. So talking to customers is a huge one. Not having budget. Now, you want you need budget, but if you can test something without spending money, like, that's the way to go. So, cause, and this is the old Six Sigma way. You would build a design, some sort of studio like a, with the two-way mirror glass, right? And you'd have about 15 people on this side of it. And you'd bring a customer on the other side and you'd have all this perfectly designed experiments to find out which color the button they like better, right? So with Six Sigma, and this is the, with Web 2.0 as things started changing a lot. Well, what if you just do this? Have the designer create the, a mock of the UI and I'll just share it on Twitter and say, what do you guys think about this? And your customers give you feedback instantly and it costs 28 cents, right? It costs you nothing to do that type of feedback. And then, you know, as, as, Web 2.0 started coming and SaaS app started coming. Well, why don't you just test it in the app? So you can A-B test with your customer right in the app. Create the two buttons, call, and then serve it up to half the people over here, half the people over here, see which button wins, right? And then move forward. But, but it's all about that customer focus and customer learning and that customer journey. It's not about how do we like make, yes, there's stuff like make the website move faster, but that's ultimately customer focused ultimately. But you're not, you're not going down that other path of the Six Sigma way. Really. I, I spoke earlier this week to uh, someone who is a consultant over at uh, uh, Lean uh, Startup, the, the company, and he, he mentioned that one of the, the prototyping methodologies that he likes to use is pe pe pencil and paper. Like if it's a product, draw it out on a piece of paper as best you can and then show it to people, show it to customers and see, get their feedback on it with just the drawing. He says, all right, it costs, you know, a piece, a piece of paper and some lead <laughs> from the, the pencil, and that's and, it. And, and it's a concept of going broad, then narrow, then broad, then narrow, right? And yes, you would, it was almost like a, a comic book page, like six boxes, and like box one is basically the problem somebody's having, like, oh, I can't pay my employees. And then you draw the solution in the other four boxes, then the last box is like, the delight or the feeling they have because their employees have been paid and your solution would be in those other four boxes. And you could draw those, sketch it up, get feedback, sketch up until you find out what story and solution resonates. And then you kind of, there's all these different tools you can use to do these things. And, and there's a little bit of process around lean, uh, lean startup, but I mean, ultimately it's customer focus. That's the best way to say it. It's, it's how do you focus on the customer, get their feedback without spending a lot of money, hence lean. That's where the lean comes from. Mm. 
Well, it's interesting. What are there any things that you pitfalls to watch out for when when using lean? Is there there's, there's some things that you want to say like let's let's be careful there because you can get sucked down a rabbit hole or. Well, it's I, this is going to be how cults happen at corporations kind of <laughs> right. So, <laughs> lean startup is to some extent a science, but it's also an art. Like Six Sigma was black and white math. Right, like it, 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 they, but Six Sigma is designed to take human judgment out of the equation. But mm. lean startup, right? You, you're you're trying to see what resonates with a human, right? And so there's some art to this. But I remember after Steve Bennett left, um, Brad Smith came to. Brad Smith was already out into it, but then he got promoted to CEO. And at the time, I think the stock was really low. You know, it was everything was down, down, down. And I remember he was doing tours all over and he came to Tucson and you had like lunch with the CEO type of a thing. And I remember I told him, I was like, everybody should be carrying the Lean Startup book under their arm instead of the, the Six Sigma, the, the GUA, right? Well, all of a sudden they had these like training, right? And all of a sudden every employee thought they were a Lean Startup person. And so it was almost in a way like a poorly implemented, like, I don't know how to say it, but it was happening everywhere. Like there was poor implementations of lean startup and maybe that's mm. the gotcha. Like it's a little bit of an art. Like you just can't give somebody the exact, it's a formula. Yes. But it's also, it's not so black and white the way six Sigma, you could train anybody to do it. Anybody can just follow the directions, do the math, right? Mm -hmm. This is the answer. And there is an art to it uh, is probably, and that's the trap. I think people think, think they think they could just make anybody be a lean startup person. Yeah. Well, the only time I was ever quoted in Harvard uh, Business Review, David, was was the following: it, "Business ain't science." So we are definitely compatriots on that. That's what, <laughs> with a very brief article, and when they asked me about it, I said, "Well, I got more." They're like, "Nope, we just want that." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> but. David, this has been great. We're up against our last break. Want to remind folks that they can contact Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Mention the website, The Soul of Enterprise, our Patreon channel, uh, patreon.com slash tsoe. Also want to talk a little bit about uh, the our sponsor for this uh, session, which was or section of the show, which is my employer, Sage. So now a word from those sponsors. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing 
hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with David Leary. And David, we were talking during the break, and it reminded me of Stanley Marcus, who's one of my mentors, especially when it comes to customer service. He was one of the sons of one of the founders of Neiman Marcus. And when he was given a job in 1929, so this was after the market crashed, um, his dad put him in the shoe department. And Stanley didn't feel too good about that. He said, why are you putting me in the shoe department? And he said, because I want you to lean down and kneel down in front of every single customer. And you were talking about how uh, Intuit put people in the call center uh, and made them work there. And then they went out and became entrepreneurs. And I thought, what a great, what a great KPI for a business is how many of our people went on to start their own companies. It's an amazing stat. I mean, in, in a way, now I'm starting my own company with Blake. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. That, that, and you, you kind of go from an internal entrepreneur to an external. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, listen, you run the cloud accounting, so you're up on everything technology-wise and what's going on with accounting. You guys have interviewed a ton of different firms and leaders in those firms. Um, how do you think innovation is going in the accounting space? I mean, what innovations do you see that firms are doing? And, and I'm not just talking about their tech stacks because they're not really doing that. That's being brought to the market. What, what do you see at firms doing internally that excite you from innovation standpoint? I'm not necessarily like in the weeds of what they're doing internally as much. Um, just because I've never really worked at a firm. You know, I know a lot of firms. I talk to a lot of people, but I can speak but to you this. Have as, a, but you have a bystander's perspective, which is always very enlightening, I think. And in, 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 to be honest, my bystander's perspective completely changed in the last 18 to 24 months. Because now I've always done, I always did my own taxes. I was never a client of an accounting firm. And now in the last 18 to 24 months, I've gotten very complicated. Yeah, <laughs> Personal taxes sure. are complicated now. It was at a startup. Um, I, you know, we, I now have three, four business entities and things are just messy and hard. I got rental houses, we're selling a house. You know, it's just, it comes with age, right? You're messy. So now I have accounting firms. I'm interacting with three accounting firms, arguably. And wow. I, I think my experience, to be honest, is typical. Because the customer experience is not great. And it's not a knock into the firms I'm working with. The people I work with are amazing. But in general, the overall client experience that accounting firms are delivering probably is not great. And I think I'm getting a typical experience. It's not bad, but it's also like not great. It's like use this portal, upload this, then do this over here. Then you pay through this other thing over here. And, and then 
like you're having to do a lot of stuff on your own, which makes you question why you have the accountant, right? I'm like, why do I have to do all this work? I hired you to do the work. Like there's not that full holistic service happening. And it's, that's as a, as a small business owner now, I want more. And I, I brought this up on tax Twitter and people are like, well, you want a mom? I'm like, yeah, I want a mom. <laughs> like I want you to do everything for me. I don't have time to make sure this little thing in compliance is done. And I've done my meeting minutes for my S corp and I have to, you know, I get this letter from the IRS. Like, I just want you to do everything for me and I'll just pay you. And I'll focus on running my podcast business. I don't need advisory. I don't need you to advise me how to run a podcast business. I need to make sure all these other dumb things that don't have anything to do with my business, but they kind of do. <laughs> they are important for my business. Like I want that type of a service, but that's my, as, as the outsider now, being a client of firms, like it scares me a little bit. Like, cause I feel like I'm probably getting a typical client experience. I think the cardinal sin today is wasting the customer's time. And if you can do things that don't waste the customer's time, you can charge an outrageous premium. Now, you still have to deliver a great experience, but I'm thinking of like the 200-page tax organizers that firms send you. It's like, cut this out. Cut, just stop wasting your customer's time. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the, a good example is this. I need to because I have my S Corp and obviously I built this studio, I have to have it's some sort of agreement with the corporation and my personal household. And there's some document has to be written out. All I want to do is write the doc and I'll sign it. <laughs> Instead, I got a, a Word doc as a template and I got a link to an article on the Journal of Accountancy. <laughs> and then the Journal of Accountancy article, frankly, is not great. So I Googled and I found some other firm's blog post about it. And I'm like, oh, I kind of understand this now. And then I have to, so then I tell my intern who, uh, she's an accounting major. She's graduated. She's now in grad school getting her CPA. Can you write this, this up for me? And she's like, I've never done this before. But it's like all this churn when somebody probably at the accounting firm probably could have wrote it up in like three minutes and I could just sign it. And that's, the, those, that's an example of that experience of where I'm sure if I spend two hours, I can do this. There's no doubt. And I have enough connections and people to ask for help with. But I'm sure they're doing that to other clients too who don't have connections. You're not one one sentence on Twitter from tax Twitter the way I am, right? What do you see as the biggest challenges facing the profession? It's gotta be talent. We talk about this, it seems like every, and it's all professions, but it's, you know, in the accounting, it's just as bad, if not worse than anywhere else. I think it's the talent shortage. And, and this is what's interesting about the, relating it back to the customers. I've talked to some firm owners and when push comes to shove at the end of the day, they almost have to solve for their employees first over a customer. Like if you're going to pick and choose, you're going to solve for your employee and keep your employee before you mm -hmm. solve for a customer. And that's kind of a broken state we just are as an industry, you know, and, and it's not the firms don't care about the customers, but there's such a labor shortage. They have to care about their employees more. Yeah, that's always, there's always been tension there. There was books written in the 90s about, you know, the customer comes second. You'd, you'd rather have a great talent um, rather than sacrificing that you know you'd sacrifice customers to keep that keep the talent um but it's constant tension um do, have you seen any with remote work because of covid and all of that do you think that's going to help the talent crunch or do you think this is a more systemic problem that the profession just can't get enough people to come into the profession i think it's them not getting the profession but the remote work thing's funny because for decades a decade the whole accounting industry said, we can't do remote work. <laughs> then overnight, they had to. 
And they had their busiest years they've had in 40 years <laughs> and more productive than ever. And obviously accounting firms and we know all, they're all just doing great. I mean, they're overworked and stressed and all this, but in general, accounting firms are doing very, very well and nothing fell apart once they switched to remote work and they, they forever, they said, we can never do it. Right. But I do think it's a, it's a bigger issue of people getting into the talent pool and becoming accountants. Um, I've started my two interns, they're accounting majors and they, um, same DNA, they're twins, same DNA, same life experience, same GPA, same everything. One's going private, one's going public. So I, I was like, oh, we're making a podcast about this. Right? It's called the Accounting Twins Podcast. But I, my big fear is I'm going to have to rebrand it one day to the former Accounting Twins Podcast. Mm-hmm. Like it, because they're 22-year-olds, they just turned 23. They, they're, one's entering the workforce, one's going to grad school, they'll get CPA. And like the odds are in this industry, they might not be accountants three years from now. That's just the math we're in. And is, so there's a problem of how to keep young people and people interested in people sticking into accounting. It's, it's an issue. It is. What do you think is, are the biggest opportunities for the profession? Um, I, th- it com- I think it's customer service. I think, the, I think the next generation wants, you know, they always, there's a lot of lip service to like mission-driven companies and all these things. And, and, and the next generation wants that. But mission-driven could just be like our customers get really good service. Right. And so you don't have to be like, oh, we're planting trees and we're doing this thing. Like just the mission of giving good experiences to your existing clients, the people you interact with every week can be a mission driven thing. Right. But it's come back to the customers. Right. And, and maybe that helps, you know, giving people the, you, you talk about um, what's the hotel where anybody can, you, you talk about them on the show all the time. Ritz Carlton. Ritz Carlton. And any employees empowered to, make something right for the customer. Right. Spend up to three I'm not grand. sure employees of accounting firms are allowed to do that. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting uh, because I, I, I see vast opportunities, but the customer experience, you're right. It, I know you hate the net promoter score, but do you know what the industry average net promoter score is for accounting firms? Three, you ever run a, four, I don't know. It's, it's 23. Now, just to put that in perspective, what's Apple's 80? Yeah. BMW's like 79 or something. I mean, it, it's abysmal. And and yet we're successful in spite of abusing, I think, the customer. I don't have the answer, but people could weekly tune into the Cloud Accounting Podcast. One day we'll find it and report it there. <laughs> uh, well, David, unfortunately, we're up against it. There's a hard break. We got to get out. But thank you so much for coming on The Soul of Enterprise. It's been great to have you. And chat this about all these issues. It's been a dream issues. of mine. It's oh. amazing. It's been a well, dream. Glad to make it come true. That thank you. It's it's uh, it's an honor to have you. And Ed, what what do we have next week? Next week one, we have Nicholas Eberstadt, the author of Men Without Work. We're going to talk about that book and he's updated it for COVID. Uh, so we're going to get involved in that aspect of it as well. Excellent. Affectionately known as NILFs. Not <laughs> Nilfs. in labor force. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Let's I will not see go you. there. Yeah, right. Let's not go there. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's noon Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www. 
thesoulofenterprise.com. Find out what's 